Uh, I'm really excited to get into this new series, as Cindy mentioned. One of my goals at Current is to give us what I like to think of as a well-rounded biblical diet. And what I mean by that is trying to cover all the major sections of Scripture. So you have the Old Testament Scripture, which is, of course, the Scripture leading up to the life and ministry of Jesus. You have the New Testament Gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, that focus in on Jesus' life and teachings in particular. And then you have the Gospel, uh, the New Testament letters, which were these early church leaders, uh, mainly Paul, of course, but others writing to the church about how to follow Jesus as individuals as churches. We've spent some time over the last little bit in the Old Testament and in the New Testament letters. So today I thought we'd get back into a gospel. And if you know anything about me, I love getting into the Gospels. It doesn't get better than focusing in on Jesus. So we're going to be picking up in Luke a couple years back at Christmas time. We looked at the first two chapters to, to celebrate that message there. And then now we're going to look uh, starting in chapter 3. And what we're going to get into is a series that I wanted to call Prepare the Way, because that's kind of a more literal sense of what this chapter and the next are, are about. But the creative team came back to me and said, that's not very interesting. How about This is the Way? Any Mandalorian fans out there? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we're going to go with this is the way. This is the way to following Jesus. One of the really important things that we see in all of the gospel accounts, including the text that we just saw here today, is how each of them start with John the Baptist. They all start with John the Baptist. And, and it's, it's important to understand, it seems to me, because it seems like it's God's way of saying through his scripture accounts of introducing Jesus, the way to Jesus is through the John the Baptist way. And so we need to consider what that is, what, what that means. And so if you're here and you're checking out the claims of Christ, trying to figure out what this is all about, uh, we're going to talk about what that means, what it looks like. This is, this is the way. And if you are here, you have received him. And maybe you haven't really experienced his life and working in your life, or at least over the last little bit, it's been something you haven't experienced for a while. That's what John unpacks for us as he points for us the way to Jesus. So we're going to consider that today, specifically two things, how we are to receive Jesus and how John shows us how we're to follow him, experiencing his life and work in our lives. So let's pray and then we'll, then we'll get into it. Uh, Father, thank you so much for this space. Thank you so much for this time together that we can uh, just take a pause at the start of this week and consider you, praise you, worship you, look to your word. Father, would you please give us each your spirit right now? Would you soften our hearts to receive what it is that you have in front of each of us today through your scripture here in Luke 3? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, John the Baptist was an interesting guy. In fact, one of the commentaries I was reading this last week straight up called him weird, <laughs> strange. Just like, are they allowed to do that as commentators? But yeah, I called him weird and strange. If you flip back in your Bibles to a chapter or two earlier, you'll actually see that John received this prophecy. Actually, it was his parents who received this prophecy about John while John was in utero about how he would come, quote, in the spirit of the prophet of Isaiah, pointing people to Messiah, Messiah ultimately to Jesus. Uh, from what we can tell, we don't know, we don't believe that John actually himself received, as he started to grow, uh, another version of this vision or prophecy himself. He probably was just leaning into what his parents had told about that prophecy. And so at a young age, when, when he became an adult, as a young man, he moved off into the desert figuring, I'm just going to lean into this whole coming in the spirit of the prophet of Isaiah, uh, uh, Elijah thing. 
And if you know Elijah's story, in fact, if you were here a couple weeks ago, we talked about it. Elijah was a guy who was just out in the wilderness and desert all the time. So that's what John did. He just went out into the desert and lived this life such that Matthew, in his account, described John this way. His clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. So you can see how he got the rap of being, being weird, being, being a little, little strange. He must have been a really rugged dude. But here's the thing about John that was unmistakably clear about him. He just had this presence about him, his character, his passion, his message, that people really leaned in to hear what he had to say. By the way, even people who kind of like saw things differently than he did, everybody understood that they needed to weigh his words carefully. They even called him, and this is no small thing, we don't have time to get into this, but they even called him in that day a prophet. And so people, the crowds, were all going out to see John and understand what he was about. And if you know anything about John the Baptist's message, you know his message was one of repentance. John came preaching repentance. And if you want to understand the claims of Jesus and his promises and how we can experience life in him, repentance is key. And we see that a number of places in our text, but perhaps most clearly in verse 3 where we get this summarizing verse where uh, Luke says, John went into all the country around Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, this word forgiveness is actually probably uh, not the best of words to help us understand what's actually going on there, but you know what, actually, it might be the best word because we don't really have a better word for it. You could substitute the word remission of sins to try to understand what, what uh, Luke is saying here, but we never use that word. So what are we talking about? The idea here, as, he, as, John, as Luke says, John was preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, is not just receiving forgiveness, but experiencing freedom and deliverance. And, and, and life. And so repentance is not a feelings word. I mean, I think a lot of people, when they think about repentance, they think of it as just feeling sorry for having done something wrong. But repentance isn't so much a feelings word as it is an action word. It's, it means to have a change of mind, a change of heart, really a change of direction. And we're given this really powerful metaphor to help us understand what's going on here in verses four through six. It says, as it was written in the book of the words of Isaiah, the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low, the crooked road shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. This is an incredibly helpful metaphor that really kind of gets at uh, something here when it comes to repentance that all of people in, in John's day would have understood. Who did you prepare the way for? back then. Uh, you prepared the way for the king, but not just any king. There was plenty of those kings uh, back in that day. It was really for the king of kings, the emperor. Uh, you probably remember from studies back in the day how, uh, you know, any roads of substance back in the ancient uh, world were often called the king's highway. Uh, there's a reason for that. The way it worked back then is whenever the great king set out with his entourage, he'd first send out emissaries into the villages that would go out traveling and essentially bring the message of, boy, are you guys lucky. Boy, is there a great honor coming your way. The king is going to pass through your village. So make way for the king. Prepare the way for the king. And then these villages would just spring into action. They would all just go out and straighten up the roads, make everything look nice, fill in the crevices, remove the boulders 
I mean, if any of you have been to like kind of third world countries today, you know that boulders really do shift the way that paths are, are formed. I mean, people straight up just leave the boulders there and the path becomes these winding things around these structures that you can't otherwise get around. Well, that was true back then. But when the king was coming through, oh no, you went out there and you removed that boulder. You went out there and you did the best you can to make way for the king. So let's play this out as a bit of a, a thought exercise for a moment. John, of course, here is talking about how in the same way those folks back then would prepare the way for the king, you know, making everything great and smoothing the roads, uh, is the same way we ought to prepare the way in our hearts for the king of kings, the Lord, Lord, God himself. Uh, so if I were to tell you that God was coming over to your house later tonight, how would you prepare the way? <laughs> I imagine some of us would probably like wait until the service was over and then to slip out because the service is for him. You wouldn't want to leave early, but then you want to get back really quickly and just straighten things up, make everything nice, but not just spatially. Probably want to make a few phone calls, you know, relationally, calling up some folks and saying something to the tune of, hey, this has been a long time coming. I should have made this call earlier, but I just need you to know that I recognize that I've caused a lot of hurt in your life. I need to apologize for that, ask your forgiveness for it. Some might need to like stop by the office on the way home, straighten up some things there that you know you should probably have fixed up before the Lord comes over tonight. Whatever the case may be, this is repentance. Repentance is making way in our hearts for the king. It's acknowledging his ways is exactly that, his ways. And where we're not living the life of love, of mercy, grace, justice, whatever he calls us to, uh, having a change of mind, having a change of heart. C.S. Lewis, atheist turned Christian author, uh, wrote in Mere Christianity, fallen man is not simply an imperfect creature who needs improvement. He is a rebel who must lay down his arms. Laying down your arms, surrendering, saying you are sorry, realizing that you have been on the wrong track and getting ready to start life over again from the ground floor, that is the only way out of the hold. The process of surrender, this movement full astern, is what Christians call repentance. I read a Business Insider article a while back, entitled, Scientists Have Identified the Driving Force Behind All Your Darkest Impulses. They call it the D-factor or dark factor of personality, which shows that everybody, each and every one of us, to some varying degree, has within us a dispositional tendency towards, and I quote, egoism, Machiavellianism, moral disengagement, narcissism, psychological entitlement, uh, entitlement uh, psychopathy, sadism, self-interest, and spitefulness. Nice little list there. It's a fascinating study, but really it's just another way to describe what the Bible calls sin. What's in each and every one of us. And John the Baptist pointing the way to, quote, God's salvation, we see in verse 6, to forgiveness, liberty, deliverance, ultimately in Jesus, is made way by the path of repentance. A change of mind, a change of heart, a change of direction. But the choice is ours. We have to decide if this is something we choose to do, to repent or not to repent, to embrace or not to embrace. And I think that's really highlighted uh, much in the rest of this, this text, starting in verse 7. We see two categories of people, uh, some who respond and choose to lean into what John is saying, and some who, from all that we can tell, choose not to respond. And I think in, in doing this, Luke, through this account and retelling of John's John's events here shows us a window into our own hearts to help us understand what it means to, when we can choose to lean in or, or we choose to not lean in. So first, let's consider 
those who were not responding. Who was not responding? If you look in your Bibles at verse 8, you find that the people who weren't responding were the children of God. These were people coming out to John and saying, essentially, please don't talk to us about this whole repentance thing, John. Uh, we don't need that. We're of the lineage of Abraham. And check out how John responds. He says, don't begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. What was John saying? John was saying, if you, even if you were to identify as a follower of God, that doesn't necessarily help you see, quote, God's salvation. For salvation to be worked out in your life. In other words, thinking of it this way, going to church, calling yourself a Christian doesn't necessarily prepare the way for the Lord in your life. It's really interesting to me that of all the people who you probably would have thought would have responded to John's message to remove the boulders and, you know, straighten the path, these religious people, these children of God, are the ones who themselves are obstructing the, their own path, the, the, the way for the Lord to come into their, their lives. Uh, Jesus at one point in a few chapters, uh, chapter 5, verse 31, says, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Um, if you consider Jesus' message, not only in this verse, but just kind of in its totality, you understand that Jesus was not saying with those words, you know, there really are some folks who don't need any help. They, they've got their own righteousness thing going. They got it all worked out. He wasn't saying that. His bigger point was, no, everybody can receive help because everybody needs help, and I'm here to offer to anybody who would actually receive it. People not responding were the religious, and we see how the religious can easily miss us by saying something like, I go to church, I try to be a good person, surely that's enough. Even as even, of course, non-religious can miss it by saying, well, I don't have any need for, for Jesus. Uh, any of you remember uh, Jesse the Body Ventura? That, you know, before there was Arnold, governor, governor of, of California, there was Jesse the Bod, governor of Minnesota. Uh, he very succinctly once put it this way. He said, I have no need for a Christianity because, quote, Christianity is for the weak. And, you know, Jesse the Bod is actually onto something there. Christianity actually is for the weak. But that's just it. We're all weak. We all need Jesus. That's the point. Even John the Baptist recognized his need for Jesus' salvation working in his life. Even John the Baptist, whom everybody was going out to down there in the countryside by the Jordan to hear these words, understanding him to be a prophet, seeing him as this godly guy, even John the Baptist understood. By the way, even Jesus called John the Baptist, uh, you know, like straight up, the greatest man born of woman. Even this John the Baptist said at the end of our text, but when it comes to Jesus, I am not even worthy to untie his sandals. Uh, if John the Baptist recognized his need for Jesus' salvation and work in his life, uh, that's definitely true for, for, the, for the rest of us. Uh, these are the people who are struggling to respond. It was the people who identified themselves as spiritually healthy and no need but we need to recognize our need for repentance. Those are the people not responding. Here are the people who were responding. Who, who was responding? Look at verses 12 and 14. They tell us that it, were the, it was the tax collectors and the soldiers. Um, of course, Luke says that the crowds were coming out, so many different types of people were coming out to see John. But it's interesting that of all the people he chooses to identify and make representative of the entire crowd, he calls out tax collectors. And the soldiers, who are the tax collectors? These are the people who were just utterly despised 
they were hired by the Romans uh, to collect taxes, and they made their money by by charging the people more than what they needed to collect for the, the Romans, and, and everybody just, just hated them. Their title was synonymous with sinners at times. And then who were the soldiers? These were people whose work by very nature allowed them to have the opportunity to extort money with the threat of violence, just with impunity. And yet, these are the people who are highlighted here as actually coming out and saying, I want to turn from that. I want to turn from this way and, and, and take on God's ways, not live for my, my ways. And this really, by the way, is a major theme, if not the theme of the book of Luke, in case you're wondering. Uh, you could probably say the theme of Luke is Jesus, Savior of the world. Uh, we see over and over again, and by the way, this is not just true of Luke's account, but he really kind of highlights it, the fact that Jesus came for everybody who would receive him. Meaning, no matter your past, God offers through Jesus forgiveness, offers liberty and deliverance. There's an interesting uh, phrase in here that, that used to puzzle me. It's in verse 17 when John, talking about Jesus, says his, will, his winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the, his threshing floor. I think what's going on here, at least in part, is the fact that with Jesus, you cannot remain neutral. You either have to receive him on his terms and lean in, which is repentance, acknowledging his ways as king, or reject him in his way, saying that that's not for me, but there's no, there's no neutral ground. And what John the Baptist is showing us is whether or not we come to Jesus is through this way of repentance, asking God to help us turn from our ways and come to him through Christ. And you know, all the scriptures give us case study after case study after case study of people either leaning into this or leaning away from this. For instance, you have the story of, of the man who's known as the rich young ruler who came to Jesus and said, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Which really is a wonderful question to ask a wonderful teacher. In some ways, it's the question we're asking today. How do we experience eternal life, not only forever with the Lord, but even, even in this life, life in, in Christ? He said, how, how, what must I do to in, in inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, you know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not defraud people, honor your father and mother. And the rich young ruler was really excited to hear that. He said, oh, oh, great, because I've kept all of those since I was a little boy. And then it says, very, very candidly, Jesus looked at him and loved him and said, one thing you lack, though, go sell all your possessions, give, give to the poor, then come back and follow me. And we're told at the conclusion of that story that that rich young ruler, at, at those words, his face dropped and he walked away, sad, for he had, quote, much wealth. What had Jesus done for this man? This Jesus, Jesus had done for this man, he, he, what Jesus had done for this man was show him the boulder in his life. That his, his wealth was his king. That he didn't want to make way for the king by getting rid of this wealth, this, this greed, and all that sort of thing, even when Jesus called him out on it. He, 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 he just said, you know, I want to keep this. This is what I want to be, the ruler of my life. And he went away sad, not, not receiving Jesus, not turning to him. And then on the flip side of that, you have Zacchaeus, recorded in Luke's account, who's known as a chief tax collector. So we've already talked about tax collectors. This was a chief tax collector. I mean, we're talking public enemy number one. This guy really wanted to see Jesus as he was passing through the town. And so he's very famously known for being a short guy. He climbed up on a sycamore tree, was watching to see Jesus come by and pass through. Jesus actually went up right up to the tree, looked up and said, Zacchaeus, I must come to your house today. 
Remember that thought exercise we did earlier? If God were to come over to your house, like what would you do in preparation for that? Well, Zacchaeus real time had to work that one out. But what was the ending of that story? Zacchaeus standing up in that day having a complete life transformation saying, today I'm going to give all my wealth. I'm going I'm to pay all the people who I've cheated fourfold and I'm going to give to the poor. The same boulder that the rich young ruler had had, this chief tax collector said, I want to clear the way for the Lord. He experienced life. And what did Jesus say in response? Today, salvation has come into this house. Repentance leads to life. Jesus offers it if we will choose it. Do you want to experience God's salvation in your life? Do you want to receive forgiveness, life, deliverance that he offers? It starts with repentance, and then it continues on with repentance. Uh, we see that here in verse 8. Repentance is ongoing. It's what I like to call active repentance. The life of a, a follower of Jesus is active repentance. In verse 8, John says it this way, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. That's saying it's not just a once and done sort of thing. This is an ongoing life endeavor. The Christian life is not wallowing in sin, but continually reflecting on, owning, and with God's help, casting off different areas in our life where we need deliverance. From. And as we do that, the promise here is as we look to our need for God's help in these different areas in our lives from the inside out, there will be fruit. Remember how I talked about the D factor, the dark factor of personality, how within all of us, they say there's egoism, spitefulness, selfishness, you know that, that list. Well, here just a few weeks ago, we talked about, the, in another series, we talked about the fruit of the Spirit, these wonderful character traits that God wants to and is working in those who follow Him, these character traits of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are all fruit that God wants to start building into us and through us, uh, allowing others to experience His life. But this is an ongoing thing through active repentance. To use a little bit of a, a case study, this last, that last series when we did the fruit of the Spirit, the one that especially hit me like square between the eyes was the, the fruit of the Spirit of gentleness. I think partly because I hadn't really considered gentleness all that much before. I just kind of glossed over it thinking, I, I think I'm kind of gentle, okay. But then I had to preach a sermon on it. I was like, dang it. <laughs> it's like, this is, and, and if you were here, you know that I kind of described the opposite of gentleness is like coming in like a wrecking ball. And I had a few folks come up to me and talk about my, my desires after that message. But you come in like a wrecking ball. So, and I've, I've just been hit square between the eyes of like, man, I just need the Lord's help with, with gentleness, particularly, particularly in my parenting. Because especially in the pandemic times, like, you know, my kids who are nine and seven, when they, you know, uh, start to get into quabbles and all that sort of thing, I, you know, I will inevitably come in like a wrecking ball, like, hey, what's going on? Stop fighting. You're on timeout. You're losing screen time and, and the rest of it. In other words, I'm just trying to like squash the whole thing, make it go away. It's not very gentle. <laughs> Being gentle would be coming in and saying, hey, what's going on here? What What happened? It's coming in not as an adversary, but coming in alongside my kids who need help figuring out how to work through times when they get into arguments and working out the rest of it. And this has been an active thing of God working in me, trying to help me become more gentle. And it's not been all that easy, right? I mean, because it's kind of like the surgical hand, hand that makes an incision. It's like cutting and, and, you know, for the sake of healing. And I, and I feel like the Lord has been graciously ever so slowly helping me become a little more and a little more gentle. But that's the life of the Christian. It's, it's leaning into, it's actively embracing a life of active 
repentance, as God raises things to the surface and helps us understand, well, here's an area of the road that needs leveling, and here's, a, here's, here's perhaps a boulder, bringing it to him, asking him for forgiveness, asking him for help to have a change of heart and to, to cast it away, experiencing his fruit and life from the inside out, seeing his salvation worked out in our lives. This is how Jesus came onto the scene. There's no red carpet. There's no no paparazzi. It was just this weird, strange little voice out in the desert, quietly pointing the way to him, saying, through repentance, turn to him. The king of kings is coming. He wants to enter in your life. Will you have him? Will you have a posture of, I need help? I recognize I don't have my act all together. I'm not perfect. I want to ask for this forgiveness. I want to ask for God's working in my life. And today, if you're here, if you've never received Jesus, you're like looking at him and his claims, this is the gospel. This is the good news that you can receive even today. Putting your faith in him, turning your life to him, saying, God, I can't follow your ways anywhere near as I ought to, but I want to. I surrender my life to you. Uh, in John's account, he says to all who believe and to all who receive him, he gives the right to become children of God. You can receive that today. In fact, John the Baptist's amazing words here, at least prophesied about him, says, uh, said, said this, every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. We've been talking about smoothing out crevices and removing boulders, but check that out. Valleys will be filled in, mountains will be made low. That's talking about what Jesus did for us on the cross if we'll receive it. When it comes to our sin, the valleys and, and mountains of our sin, he will, he will make right and he will start to, he will offer forgiveness and he will bring life in there. You can receive that today. And then for those of you who have received him, this is an invitation into a life of active repentance, asking God with his help at his spirits moving to, to show different ways that you can help prepare the way for the Lord to come into your life and do his work, bringing salvation and, and, and life into your life more fully. Uh, one last thought. Uh, Cindy and I had an opportunity to listen to uh, a famous preacher slash Bible scholar who was in the area, this is actually a couple years ago now, uh, who came in and he had, he had a bit of an expertise in the area of revivals. So if you know what revivals are, they're kind of times in history where there's kind of a, a swelling or a surge of many people putting their faith in Jesus just all at once in a particular region of, of space. I think South Korea experienced one of those very famously. Uh, you know, the eastern coast of the, of the U.S. during the Great Awakening, those sorts of things. Um, and what he was saying is, while there's a number of, of events or maybe preachers that might be identified as, you know, kind of like little events that were like, oh yeah, you can, you can see that that happened over there. Really, it's not about any one event or one, one person or preacher. It's really just like out of nowhere. There's no other explanation other than the Christian saying, miraculously, God just decided to just bring a lot of people in the faith all at once, grow the church, and just have an incredible movement. Those, those are what revivals are. And he said two things that really stuck out to me. He said, one, According to certain measures, our area in particular hasn't really ever, in the U.S., hasn't ever really experienced one, um, which he said, hopefully, you know, it's kind of with, with a spirit of hope. But then number two, he said, and you want to know, at least from my humble studies, as I looked into all of these revivals, the, the key ingredient to it all, like the common thread in each and every one of these revivals, he said, is repentance. Those people, the church, followers of God saying, I want to turn my ways over to the Lord's ways. I want to make way for the Lord's moving in my life. And people experiencing that personally, individually with their walk with the Lord, but then also just with, with one another in the church, and, and there just being a swelling, a movement of just seeing God working in a given area. 
But that should seem like no coincidence, right? Because that's what John, John the Baptist said. Turn to God and receive forgiveness for sins. Turn to God and see his salvation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit that illuminates it for our, for our hearts and our minds to understand it. Father, we just confess that, oh, we so desperately need Jesus. Even as we sang earlier today, Lord, I need you. Oh, how I need you. Because the more we consider, you know, the, the valleys and mountains of our, our sin, uh, the, the more we recognize it in our lives, but we're, the more we all, also at the same time are so just filled with hearts of gratitude and love and praise for what you accomplished for us on the cross. And so, Father, I want to pray for those here today who maybe have just made a faith decision or want to make a faith decision even now, that you would fill them with your spirit, you draw them close to you, and help us as a church come alongside them. And then, Father, I want to pray for those who have received you, and, you know, maybe, maybe there's some crevices that you're bringing to mind. Maybe, maybe there's a boulder or two that you're bringing to mind. Uh, Father, would you, would you very graciously help us each uh, follow you as you, as, as, as you see fit, as, as we make way for, for you, the King, to work in our lives, and not just in our lives, through us. Father, would you help us be a church that just, like John the Baptist did, points the way to Christ. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.